Welcome to Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. I am your host, Dave West, codename Phantom Troublemaker. And I am your armor specialist, Noel Wood, codename Crapshoot. And I am your co-host, Christian Allen, codename Legion Cub. All right, guys, we've got a lot of G.I. Joe to talk about. We have our normal sort of topics that we do, but before we get to those, uh, we got to talk a little bit about what's been going on in the world of G.I. Joe lately. Uh, I want to make sure our listeners follow us on Instagram at Audible Interlude Podcast and on Twitter at G.I. Joe Audible uh, to keep up with our thoughts on ongoing G.I. Joe news. Uh, first thing I want to point out is... At G.I. Joe Nederland, that's N-E-D-E-R-L-A-N-D, on Twitter, wrote an amazing companion piece to our review of Snake Eyes Dead Game number one from the last episode. Uh, He went through sort of as a response to our review and provided his own thoughts and insights uh, and even scanned panels from the episode to go along with uh, our our critiques to to illustrate the things that we talked about, uh, I was very flattered and and impressed that he did all of this. And and if you listen to that episode, you need to track this article down and check it out. That's at GI Joe Nederland. Do you guys think it's Nederland or Nederland? Mm, I was thinking Ned Niederlander. Ned Niederlander, you're right. So it's G.I. <laughs> Joe Niederland. Uh, it's clearly Martin Short is following our podcast. Wait. And it seemed like we actually kind of influenced his final decision on yes. what he thought about it. Like he, after hearing what we had to say about it, went back and like had to reflect upon what his actual feelings were for the comic. Which, you know, as, as we reiterated, uh, you know, everybody should enjoy things on their own merits, and if you love something, love it. Uh, but we 100%. will... Yeah, absolutely. But we will provide our honest thoughts and input about anything G.I. Joe that comes out. Uh, our intent had been to discuss issue two, but it's not out yet, so we're going to have to put that off until our next episode. Darn. <laughs> Heartbreaking, <laughs> I know. Uh, and I do want to talk a little bit about the Target Cobra Island launch, uh, the special missions Cobra Island G.I. Joe classified figures that are Target exclusive that are still uh, near impossible to find. Well, very difficult to find uh, in stores or, or on their website. Uh, to give a little background, this is, like I said, a Target exclusive wave. Uh, they were supposed to go, they were supposed to be in stores on August 1st and available on Target's website on August 14th. Uh, as of yet, I have seen them exactly twice in stores, and that's with a lot of hunting, you guys, because now here in Georgia, uh, everybody's actually wearing masks now, so I feel much more comfortable going on toy hunts like I used to. And I have hit every target within an hour drive of me. And the only time I have found any of these figures was on August 1st when my son and I went out uh, looking and got Roadblock and some Cobra Troopers. 
That's it. I've not seen any since. Never seen Baroness. Never seen Beachhead. Uh, have you guys been keeping up with this at all? Uh, just keeping the, up. Oh, go ahead, Noel. Honestly, just just the confusion of the release dates. Watching you know people try to to bicker. People, some people were treating some Target employees very poorly. Um, so please don't do that. Just, yeah, that's you know, unacceptable. Yeah, this is you know they're they're doing their job. They're they're being told to you know what these things are. You're not going to change their mind. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I've been into one Target store since all this started. It was apparently the one uh, that does not, not even carry these figures. It didn't even have a place on the pegs for them. So um, yeah, I, I haven't seen them at all. But yeah, it's been interesting to follow. For sure, that's what you're describing. Noel is everything that I've seen here in Orlando, uh, and even a few days ago when I, I went to Tampa, any Target that I saw, I stopped at, and I'm not even seeing spots on the shelf for them. One of the things that's been so frustrating around here is almost every Target I visited does have the shelf tag for the Baroness and then the pegs for the rest of the figures, but they they never have anything in stock. I, ro- roadblock, uh, I, you know, and I said we, I haven't seen anything beyond that first day. I saw road, one roadblock once since then. Um, uh, but it's, yeah, it's incredibly frustrating. And I was up uh, the night, the 14th, at midnight. I started periodically checking Target's website and usually this sort of thing will populate for whatever reason around 2.33 in the morning. I don't know why that's the time, but that's the time. Um, and I started checking around then, and they went, their status changed from uh, unavailable to out of stock, and I put the little, I clicked the little tab that said notify me when this item comes in stock, and over the next few hours, I got two emails about Beachhead coming in stock, but by the time I got there, they were gone again. Meanwhile, Roadblock has been in stock on the Target website several times, and currently, as of this recording, is still available to go online and purchase. And that leads me, because I, I have a theory about Roadblock, why he was included in this line, I think there is a point of view that because The Rock played Roadblock in the second live-action movie, they might consider that name to have more recognition than other characters. That's just my little theory. I don't know. Uh, but the... The fact that he is in stock, I doubt very much that they produced differing quantities of Roadblock Beachhead and the Cobra Trooper. You know, I would hope they they produced three times as many Cobra Troopers as they did Beachhead or Roadblock, but who knows what they did. But I would imagine at the very least they're equal quantities of those three figures. And the fact that Roadblock is just sitting there online available makes me think we're having some distribution problems. We're having some issues maybe with shipping from China. Um, or, or Vietnam. I'm actually not sure if these are being produced in China or Vietnam. Uh, but whatever the case, I think the stock exists. I think it just hasn't been spread yet. Uh, and if you follow with Baroness, there are parts of the country that haven't even seen Baroness at all yet. Uh, so I think we're just experiencing some delays, some import delays. Uh, I think 
that these things, you know, I don't think they're going to be plentiful, but I do think we'll get to a point where if you want them, you're going to be able to get them for retail price. You're going to have a window. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be hard to find overall, eventually. So that's uh, that's just my viewpoint as a long, long, long-time toy collector and, and sort of keeping an eye on these kinds of things. And granted, the toy industry is, is constantly changing now more than ever, but that that's just my personal belief about the situation. So for, for the listeners, uh, you know, take heart, be patient, don't feed the scalpers, and... Uh, you know, hang in there. I, th- I think we're going to find these things. Your time will come. And now, speaking of times coming, let's go ahead and head over to this month's review. All right, this month we are reviewing the inspiration for the name of this podcast, the Audible Interlude Podcast. We're reviewing G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, issue number 21 from 1985, Silent Interlude, uh, well, written by Larry Hama, but also something that gets overlooked, I think, quite a bit, breakdowns by Larry Hama, uh, with finishes by Steve Lealoha and uh, colors by George Russos. Um, a, a landmark, not just issue of the G.I. Joe series, but a landmark in the history of comic books. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was reading from IDW's 2015 hardcover uh, reissue, that includes not just a it's it's got the original issue along with some corrections uh it has larry hama's original breakdowns it's got gi joe origins issue nine which was also written by larry hama for idw uh and is another silent issue and uh it's loaded and this is the when i went back to read this this is the first time i'd actually sat down and read all the expanded material in this thing there are tons and tons of great notes and insight about the original Marvel comics and um, some quotes from Larry Hama about why he wrote some of the things he wrote. Uh, this is this is a phenomenal collection here. Have you guys seen this thing? No. No. Uh, it's, I don't know what its available availability is now. I think they might have released a softcover as well. Uh, but this is, this is 100% audible interlude recommended reading uh if you can get your hands on a copy of this i highly highly recommend it uh so what were you guys reading from uh i've got a digital copy i've got the entire original run uh on a digital copy but i've also got this one on paper uh, you know the original book if i wanted to pull it out as well yeah i've got a digital copy that's i thought i still had my original comic but I realized that it my my first run GI Joe collection was a casualty of like car repairs or something else probably 25 years ago. Oh, heartbreaking. <laughs> so, but I I've got I've got a ton of GI Joe comics but I don't have a complete run. I've just anytime I see them I buy them. 
So, I, like, there's some issues I've got, like, five copies of at this point because they're cheap. You, I mean, you can just grab them anywhere you see yeah. them. Uh, but I happen to not have an issue of this, although I do have the issue from the G.I. Joe comic three-packs um, that was released. So, uh, that comes with uh, Snake Eyes, Storm Shadow, and a Red Ninja figure. Very cool set. Uh, but now we need to talk about the comic itself and... You know, this, obviously I've read this tons and tons and tons of times, but I wasn't really necessarily conscious of the fact that Larry Hama was so responsible for the art in it. Did did you guys know that? I knew it to a certain extent. I didn't realize the the reason behind that until seeing Larry talk about it, um, which if, any, if anybody ever gets a chance to see Larry Hama talk about this comic um, on his on a panel, do that. Because it's it gives you so much insight into the thought process behind everything that goes into it. So he basically created this comic in three days, from story to the breakdowns that he did, which, if you look at them, uh, are, are basically the pencils. Like the very, uh, I'm sure Steve Lailoha had to do a lot of work to get it to finished comic book product. But as far as the it's it's complete panels like you look at it and it's the same movement, same characters, same positions, everything. Uh, the, it's not storyboards; it's breakdowns. Uh, but he sat down in a weekend and created this story, which is incredible. Yep, used minimal lines, used very deliberate placement of things to tell the story because you weren't going to be able to you know put word bubbles in there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's simple, but it's beautiful. Everything that he's drawn. And what's so amazing about it, it is because when you read a comic book, uh, you know, you, you typically are following along the word bubbles and depending on how skilled the artist is, uh, panel by panel that tells a story as well. If it's a good artist and not somebody who just does a bunch of splash panels, uh, and with this, obviously, word bubbles and captions are eliminated. We just have the visuals from panel to panel. And it is very clear here, the story. Like, there's there's no difficulty whatsoever following it from beginning to end. And not only that, you're getting nuance from characters. You get actual characterization from Scarlet, from Storm Shadow, uh who I'd argue you get the most out of them from the whole thing. Because uh, mm-hmm. Snake Eyes is basically just running through, you know, murdering people. But Scarlet and Storm Shadow, like, just using their body language and the expressiveness, well, in Storm Shadow's case, of just his eyes, yeah. uh, which, by the way, this is his first appearance in the comic. You even get some from Destro, too. Yes, absolutely. I, I love the way Hama draws Destro with the openings, the holes in the faceplate. And granted, that's... Yes! To one degree or another, that's done throughout the comics, but just Hama specifically with those rectangular slits and those human eyes behind him um, is just such a fantastic look. Yeah. One thing that's interesting to note, and I was trying so hard here, you guys, because I love my G.I. Joe toys. I sent you guys a message. I said, did you notice that the retro Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes are basically silent interlude figures because at the beginning of this story, Storm Shadow has sleeves. And minus the Cobra marking that's on the new, the Walmart-exclusive figure, uh, 
this is basically that figure for him. And then you flip over to Snake Eyes jumping, first shot of him jumping out of the back of the plane, and he's got the same, all the same gear that that figure has, the the leg straps and the backpack and everything else. But then, Noel, you pointed out, this is the commando head, and that figure has the ninja head. Yep, yeah. even though the artwork would not tell you that. Right, right. <laughs> uh, well, same with Storm Shadow, but yeah, yeah, the packaging artwork is def- different than the the figure I'm, in uh, the blister card. I'm definitely like more enthusiastic about that Storm Shadow now that I've seen this one and seen like okay, this is a significant version of him with the sleeves. Even though the Cobra Tampo is not accurate, it's still very cool to to have a frame of reference for a sleeved Storm Shadow because mm-hmm. I didn't remember that. Uh, as as you were reading this through again, uh, Christian, was there anything that kind of jumped out at you? Yeah, there's a few things. Uh, so, going back to what you were you were talking about, as far as the you know the artwork is able to express the story without any words or captions. Uh, for some of our listeners, keep in mind this came out in a time with comics where. Thought bubbles were so pervasive. <laughs> Caption boxes were so pervasive. So this was was so different than anything else on the stand at the time. Um, and and I'm I'm glad you mentioned the, the Destro uh, art because my favorite parts of this issue actually are Destro sitting at the computer seeing that something is uh, on its way and then him with his chess table because right up to this point that that was such a a, a plot as far as Destro and um, and his loyalties as to how much he helps or hinders Cobra Commander so that he gets what he wants um, and and without the words, it just I feel like it just packs so much more punch. Yeah, that one panel of Destro with the chess pieces in front of him, uh, mm-hmm. with Joe and Cobra facing off on the chessboard, like that is such an awesome panel. That that is well, then, close yeah. to tattoo worthy. Too with the the characters that are set aside. These are the characters that are either dead or believed to be dead at this point in the in the story. Uh, and Baroness, uh, in continuity at this point in time, Destro believes her to be dead. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it, he, him holding the figure of the Baroness as she's, you know, she is believed to be long gone. It's, you know, it's so you just see so much of the grief uh, in Destro's eyes there. Well, and what's interesting is this is an epilogue to basically the first nineteen issues of the comic that culminated in this this big war that resulted in these casualties of Quinn, Dr. Venom, Baroness. Um, and this this and issue 20 were basically filler issues before the regular story continued. Uh, so this one kind of caps off those first 19 issues. It's, it's, and it's, uh, it's so funny because it works as an epilogue for those but in introducing this feud between Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes, it also works as a prologue for what would come. 
Well, and apparently this was also supposed to be just some throwaway issue that got lost. Like Denny O'Neill just lost the original uh, the original uh, treatment for this for this issue. So that's why they had three weeks to put this together, and that's when Larry came up with the idea of drawing it and everything. So this is this wasn't even supposed to exist. Like right. this was a spur of the moment story that winds up becoming. Uh, kind of the glue that holds G.I. Joe together for the rest of its history. So we've talked about the art, we've talked about the story, which is uh, one of the interesting aspects of the story is it could be very easily described as Snake Eyes rescuing Scarlet from the Silent Castle, but Scarlet rescues herself and then rescues Mm. Snake Eyes. Who also saves her. Yes. While she's attempting to sacrifice herself for him. It's, It's... or something you can literally read through in five minutes if you weren't paying attention to anything. It tells such a complex story just between those two characters. I'm also noticing Storm Shadow has blue eyes here, which is a little weird. Yes. <laughs> Not sure well, about you know. that one. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's absolutely wonderful. And, then of course, at the end, the final two panels... The, the shocking revelation that there is some connection between Snake Eyes and this new ninja character, Storm Shadow. Uh, Which is but, amazing, too, because that's Larry had no idea. But that's what, page 22 of the book. On page 20, he did not know that was going to be how he finished that. It, he just had written in that their sleeves had gotten ripped and decided, well, let's give them matching tattoos, and we'll expound upon that later. <laughs> And that's how he did things. He did not have, and I think we've talked about it before, and if, and if we haven't, it was mentioned on the Larry Hama episodes of the Needless Things podcast uh, where we did live panels with him at Dragon Con. Um, you know, he didn't plan ahead. He wrote uh, uh, as each issue came. There, there was no grand plan, partially because that's just he believed in following the characters more so than directing the characters. Uh, but also, you know, working with Hasbro in the way that they did, he never knew when a character might be taken away or added in. So, it, you know, it would be hard to to have a, a long-term arc in that way. So, I mean, I, I don't think we even need to rate it. Uh, this is often referred to as one of the greatest comic books of all time, one of the greatest instance, instances of sequential storytelling. Uh, it, it's fantastic. It's a must-read. Absolutely. And I, I just want to toss one more thing out there. Uh, having worked in comic stores uh, from the from 1992 to about 2012, um, this, for as important and groundbreaking as this was, it was kind of lost to time. You know, when when the GI Joe comics fell out of favor. This meant nothing to nobody. And as much as I give Wizard Comics Magazine grief, when they wrote an article letting people know, hey, there's this amazing issue of G.I. Joe out there, it put all these eyes back on it. So I, I do give Wizard uh, some credit for for getting this back to the masses so that Everybody knows that, you know, if you only ever check out one issue of the of the Marble Run of G.I. Joe, this is the one. 
and it wasn't even that well received by a lot of people when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Um, the postbox, the pit, the letters column that they did uh, a couple issues later were people just dogging on this comic for being like too simplistic and you know i i was done with this comic in five minutes i don't feel like it was worth the 75 cents or 60 cents i think that it cost at this point in time was the cover cost which is just mind-blowing to think that the comic (laughs) used to cost 60 cents when they went to 75 i was like oh no i'm gonna have to mow more lawns (laughs) um but yeah it wasn't that well received by a lot of the 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 people who were reading G.I. Joe at the time, it's really kind of, in retrospect, has become a classic and just a, a, a master class on how to tell a narrative uh, in, in comic book stories. And for the listeners, this uh, 30th anniversary edition that I was referring to is still available. You can order it direct from IDW. I'm sure you can get it on Amazon. So it's uh, it's still out there, and you can get your hands on it if you want a copy. But also... Uh, you can you know you can find the original comics. You can find the trade collections that Marvel and IDW have done. Like it, it is readily available, and I highly recommend it. All right, any final thoughts on that? I mean, I could talk about this comic for hours. <laughs> well, we don't have hours for hours. Yeah, I mean, just the everything from the pacing, the you know, each, each page having like its own mini story um with with the way that these action scenes are paced um you would think that larry was you know storyboarding these comics every issue you almost wish he kind of did sometimes (laughs) from reading this because because this one flows better than most joe comics that were planned and produced over the course of you know six weeks rather than three well awesome you guys it is now time to look Beyond the 80s. On this month's episode, we are taking a look at a line outside of the original Real American Hero toy line, or I guess not the original, but the 80s Real American Hero toy line that is our focus here on the show. And uh, this time around, we are looking at 2003's Spy Troops. Now, Christian, this was your pick. What made you pick Spy yeah. Troops? Uh, so I had um, memories of seeing these figures on the shelf uh, at Toys R Us, but I had been out of G.I. Joe by, by this point. Um, and my memories of it were... Oh yeah, you know they were putting out a lot of repaints of the original Joes at the time. So when I started looking at the figures online, I was like, "Wait a minute, these are all new sculpts! Like the entire wave is all new sculpts." So the more I started reading about it and and uh, discovering how successful um, the 2002 line had been where they had a few original sculpts, a few repaints. Um, it was one of the most successful years of GI Joe. So they dumped Hasbro dumped all this money into spy troops and looking at some of the designs and then reading more about, uh, some of the gimmicks that came along with them. It sort of just, 
I'm I'm obsessed. Like it, <laughs> some of it totally blew my mind as to how did the thought of of Joe's uh, having you know swappable gear so that they you know some of them come with Cobra armor so they can they can infiltrate and like like how did that not happen before? Whoa. Um. And and the new bodies, if I were out, outside of the main um, Joes, you know, like your Cobra Commanders, your Bats, your your Shipwrecks, um, some of these figures, if I just saw them loose at, like, a toy convention, I would have guessed that they were, like, bootlegs. Because they <laughs> yeah. have, like, this wider, you know, superhero kind of chest, like... Very square shoulders. Uh, bless Lady J. <laughs> um, yeah. And Dr. Mindbender got a shirt. Yeah. Still so, wide open. He'd let himself go a little okay. bit. So. We're making progress. Yeah, well, I've, I've managed to acquire a few of these figures just in lots over the years. And I've always, like those big shoulders and the monkey arms and the giant hands on a lot of them um that's always really bothered me and i just thought it's just a byproduct of using cheaper plastic that they had to go with some of that but after watching the trailer for the uh the the feature i actually think part of it might have been stylistic too because some of that kind of carries from that um yeah, I I like a lot of the designs of these figures. I just don't like the aesthetic of the actual builds of the figures themselves. I was actively collecting when Spy Troops hit, and it's a really weird time in the history of the G.I. Joe toy line because, Christian, like you said, they were doing a lot of repaints and re-releases of original body O-ring figures, but mixing them in with these beefy, broad-shouldered, long-armed, like, way over-designed figures. And then there are also some sort of -of middle-of-the-road ones that have tons and tons of detail. They're not O-ring. They have the swivel waist. But they're also not as big. Like, it's, it's almost like they're three different design styles within this one year of G.I. Joe, and it's this interesting transition. Uh, But I was a big, big fan of these figures at the time. I could never display Spy Troops on the same shelf as any (laughs) O-Ring figures. It doesn't work. Uh, So can I ask you a quick question? Please do. Or maybe not quick. So one of the things that that in, in looking at these figures and reading up on them that blew my mind in the what was Hasbro thinking was the sound attack gimmick. So the weapons had these giant (laughs) additional pegs on them that looked so out of place. It was so bad, and I hated it. And you you put them in a... You attach that weapon to a vehicle. So it's not even like the figure made sound? So for for the listeners, here's how this gimmick worked. The figure would come with, and these figures came with lots of accessories. So fortunately, you would have sort of a standard rifle, a backpack, uh, maybe a knife, or the pieces of armor, the the disguise elements that you mentioned. And the the Joes would have Cobra disguises, the Cobras would have Joe disguises. 
Um, but uh, as a matter of fact, there's a Dreadnought. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he came with a military police costume that was actually really good. Like, he would almost have been a good troop builder um, if you wanted to have a bunch of MPs. And I'm, I'm scanning Yojo for him right now, and he's not jumping out at me. I'm sure you will in a minute. But anyway, the the sound attack piece was almost like an extra. It's not like instead of having a regular rifle, they had this thing. This thing you could throw in the trash, which is what I did okay. with them. Uh, and it would be like a way oversized M16 with this like big plastic chip sticking out of it. like the si- Almost the size of a thumbnail. Oh my gosh! Yeah, just <laughs> so ridiculous. it is as bad as the pictures Com- look. Oh yes, oh yes, and they would you could plug these into slots on the vehicles, and it would produce uh, some noise. And honestly, I'll tell you right now, I don't remember the noises, but I didn't care because these weapons were so ugly. Uh, like I said, I threw them in the trash. I still have when I was going through my personal collection of old Joes because I still have all of these. Um, I still have like two or three of these weapons, and that's it. Those are the only ones I hung on to, mm-hmm. and they were ones that were sort of specific, but they're still, you, you can't use them. You would never put a figure on a shelf holding one of these things. And the Dreadnought was Burnout. Burnout, that's right. That's yes, right. And burnout. outside of, he's actually one of the figures I was really drawn to because outside of his disguise gimmick, the way they designed him, he looks like he belongs in the WWE. <laughs> <laughs> or at that time, WWF. Right, right. Um, yeah, I. but uh, there are a lot of these designs I like a lot. Um, some, of my, some of the things I think are really cool updates. I like the way they did Beachhead. Uh, I mm-hmm. like the bat update, even though it's lacking uh, a lenticular chest or even a sculpted, because later bats have had a sculpted chest that looks like what was in the lenticular chest. But I do like these bats. Um, the Cobra Commander that they did, that not the one that's big and chunky. Uh, it's Cobra Commander version 15 is how it's listed here. He's blue. Um he really kind of just looks like a more modern version of the old helmet Cobra Commander. I really like that one. That um, the first Kamakura figure? Yeah, which... our first Kamakura, um, uh, which I've got a whole list of new characters here that I like. Yeah. But my question is, why is Wild Bill bald? <laughs> like, I appreciate that they wanted a removable hat. I think that's awesome, and I, I in general, like this character update, but I don't understand why he's bald. Uh, you know, you get a little older, you start losing a little bit up top, you just decide, let's take the whole thing down. Oh, yeah, you could be right. You could be right. Yeah. Uh, and I really like the Zorana update as well. Yeah, Zorana, I mean, I like I like the Zartan. I don't like the, the bulkiness of the figure, but I, I do like that that weird, like, V chest he's got, and the colors are, are, are good. I mean, they're very reminiscent of the original figure. Um, there's a, listen, the, the, the Destro, who's wearing, like, a black turtleneck. That Destro is insane. Yeah. That is more pimp Destro than the pimp Destro Baron. Yes, yeah. I agree. That's, but that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. But in an era when nobody was doing vac metal, he has the vac metal shiny mm-hmm. head, which yeah. I appreciate. 
And you were mentioning that, like, the, the three and three quarter inch, like, classic O-ring figures that they threw in this line, like, they got a lot of mileage of that Viper uh, yes. mold because they used it, like, three times, I think, this year. But there's something that's off about those, like that one and the Frostbite, which is, like, mainly a snow job repaint. Um, they just look, like you were saying, like, knockoff versions of the G.I. Joe figures. The plastic is just not the right quality or color like the skin tones are off on a lot of these figures um it just quality controls not what it was in the heyday of gi joe yeah that's when you look at them the arms are a very very soft like it's it's parts of them are abs parts of them are pvc uh and, and it's very noticeable across the line but i i do i like I like the Ripper redesign, but it would never replace the original Ripper. Oh, no. I think it's a cool update, and I'll tell you, you know, if they do... If they did Ripper in the way that they've done Roadblock in the classified line, where we get an OG Ripper, but then they do a Ripper like this that's part of some exclusive thing, I would buy it, because I think it's a cool look. I just figured out that this figure that I thought was a version of Spirit for so long is actually Nunchuck, and how that's not Spirit um, <laughs> blows me away, because he's got the... He, yeah, he, he looks like I would think Spirit would look in 2003. He looks like Billy from Predator. That's what. Which, that's exactly which what I was going with. They <laughs> actually did a Spirit that is basically Billy from Predator, so it makes yep. sense. Uh, that, that was in the 25th anniversary line for the... Uh, listeners, some of the new characters that came out of this line that I absolutely love: uh, Agent Faces, who came in with, came in a two pack with Zartan, and who is basically GI Joe's Zartan. Uh, comes with masks and everything. Uh, cool figure. Uh, Burnout the the Dreadnought. I yeah. like the concept of the claws and the Neo Vipers. These new sort of disposable troops that they did in a bunch of different colorways and. Uh, different designs i think they have a cool look i like them uh heavy water is one of my favorites uh it doesn't look like a gi joe figure at all it's just this diver with all these well you guys you can guess what makes me love him he's got like six hoses that plug in uh but it's it's cobra's uh like radioactive trooper like it's bizarre if you, you i'm not going to read the whole thing here but he looks like he would be an enemy in like a late 80s early 90s anime yes or in an early 2000s video game yeah <laughs> but it's once you get all his tubes and everything on him he looks crazy it's a cool look uh and then of course uh, noel mentioned kamakura already and then finally scalpel the cobra medical officer yep Love this design. I love his crazy shoulder scalpels with backpack. Um, uh, just uh, this was, was also the period where they lost the trademark to Shockwave because they were calling shot him Shock Blast in Transformers, and he's wide scope here. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Because I, I was when I was doing putting my notes together for this portion, I saw him and I was like, oh, Shockwave got a figure here because I don't, I don't believe I've got him. And I was like, wide scope? Oh, trademark problems. <laughs> yep. Oh, uh, speaking of trademarks, uh, this line brought road the Marvin Hinton Roadblock 
back for the first time uh, since 1994. Oh, uh, yes. Yep. Didn't so, have to just use heavy duty every time. Right, right. So that was pretty significant, although he's got some kind of weird wrist bandanas going on. I don't know what the deal is. Why Why do we have to put weird things on Roadblock's arms? What's the <laughs> deal with that? Because this figure, he has bullets strapped around his biceps. He's got some kind of weird bandanas around his wrists. And then when we get to the 25th anniversary, they put those weird, like, sweatbands around his elbows. You, you guys leave Roadblock's arms alone. <laughs> They're fine well, without... Since he likes to cook, when I saw this figure, I immediately thought of Bob's Burgers uh, when he makes the the spice holders go around yeah. his arm. <laughs> That's what they so, are. They're not bullets. Yeah, he's, he just wants to be ready. <laughs> that 100% I, makes sense. I have a weakness for um, toys with ghillie suits. I, I wish that G.I. Joe had done a lot more of them throughout the years, and this mm. year is kind of a fantasy for that, because you got several characters who had ghillie suits, because I yes. think Ambush was the only one in the original uh, original Real American Hero run that ever had one. Yeah, you got um, two different versions of... Uh, I didn't. I looked at this, but didn't put it in my notes. Uh, is it Rakondo? There's a few of them. Like, there were two different versions of Shipwreck in this. Two different overkill lines. Speaking of which, I love the... Uh, again, I would never take anything over the original Shipwreck, but I do like this Shipwreck Oh, redesign. I love this design. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a really it's a really well-done design to kind of modernize him. He you know, doesn't just look like a, a sailor. But he does. But now, like, yeah, he does, but not like a... You know, traditional. He's not Donald Duck. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and then Did you've you got. Guys oh, go ahead. Notice that in a line of GI Joe about spies and infiltrating and and coming with disguises, there is no chuckles. Oh my yeah. gosh, you're right. And that was like his job. Well, it's pre-chuckles, kind of having that resurgence. True. Before the comic series made him a fan favorite character. Yeah, because they did the Chuckles figure came out, the original Chuckles figure, and like I feel like he was one of the few characters that really never got another figure. Like they never he used got a him. variant, a sleeveless variant. Um, but yeah, did nothing else until the twenty fifth. That's and I think that figure even came in the collector's club, not the regular line. No, I've got him, so he was regular line. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, yeah, he was part yeah, of the I regular missed out line. On him then. Um, he he's they didn't nail it, let's just say. Mm. Speaking of not nailing it, let's looking down at the vehicle drivers. What oh, is goodness. up with this snow job with the green jacket? Well, yeah, it's, it's he's frostbite in this case, but yeah, that's one of the ones that I was specifically just like, why, why did you do that? <laughs> and he comes well, with the snowcat, which is actually my favorite version of the snowcat. But overall, that is one area that this line didn't do good. <laughs> I mean, to me, the vehicles look like. Again, the third-party vehicles you see, like, when you go to big lots. Yeah, they're, for the most part, just really terrible. The Toys R Us exclusives were great, and I actually own everything except for the Mobile Command Center, which I'm still kicking myself for not buying. Um, 
But those are just reissues of the original molds. The Awe Striker, the Conquest, the Mobile Command Center, and the Snowcat. But then the mainline wide release vehicles are all just these clunky... They're just bad, and I don't think I... Yeah. The yeah. only thing I own is... And it wasn't even from this year, but the, the Night Attack Chopper slash Crimson Command Chopper slash whatever it was called when I bought it, which I think mine might be the original mold from 2002. It's got green camo on it. Mm. Um, I, I got it because it seemed reasonable. Like, I, I find it more reasonable than any of these other vehicles. But, like, everything here is just... It, it it looks like Lennard stuff. It looks like it looks like the core vehicle. Well, and if you yeah. think about it too, and this is 2003, the U.S. was at war with two countries in the Middle East, and gas prices and oil prices were like record highs for a while around this time. So I'm sure that that played a lot into it. Doing these smaller, dinkier vehicles with you know with with less plastic. Um, but yeah, the, the, I feel like these have more plastic. Uh, I, I feel like the small vehicles have twice as much plastic as a vamp, but then there are a number of very large, like the ring neck, the like I said, the command, the the helicopters that they use that a uh, few times, the Patriot Grizzly tank, the MUV. Like there's some big vehicles in there, and they're all a much thicker ABS plastic. Hmm. Um, I guess I've never handled uh, any they, of the figures from this year, so they feel. These vehicles feel and look just cheap. Um, next next time you're over, if we if, if we can ever be in proximity again, <laughs> yeah. um, remind me to pull out this this chopper, and you'll see what I'm talking about. It feels like a uh, it feels like a small child's toy. Like that's the plastic they're using. And I'm saying this. I'm a playset guy, and the Conquest of Cobra Mountain is now on my my hunt list. Boulder uh, Hill, sort of. And it looks well, a lot like Boulder Hill. Notion playset from Attack on the Clones with additions to it. And I is that what it is? That playset. It is. They repurposed it. Oh, they retold it. Oh wow! And they made it an awesome playset, or at least having not handled it, but all the pictures I've seen online of people that own it, that is a playset I wish we had had back in the 80s. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting. I tell you, when, when we do, uh, we are able to get back out and, you know, be in public and go to conventions and things, I am totally going to put together a scalpel costume, I've decided. Oh, you... Well, we. This is a family show, so I won't use the word that uh, I, I was you, going to did use. Did I beat you? Did I yes. beat you to an idea? Yeah. No, I already had the idea, and uh. I specifically didn't say anything about it. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll let you do your scalpel. It was well. I'll never do it, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a hundred percent a great idea that I'm just not. I'll I'll never bother with it. So please go ahead. Or, or just make a second one while you're making yours. There we go. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I, I like I'm glad that I still have this line. If I ever have the space to display them, I absolutely will. I love the look of so many of these figures. Uh, I love the designs. 
we will discuss the Spy Troops movie on another episode. Uh, but overall, this was a high point of of G.I. Joe. You know, even if you weren't actively collecting at the time, it was big in stores in 2003. This was, this was a... a even though they have little tiny heads, they had a big presence in the toy aisles. <laughs> I just realized that what Destro reminds me of, he looks like one of the Goombas from the Mario Brothers live-action movie. <laughs> Is that Mojo Nixon playing Destro? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I like the way they utilized repaints. Uh, I like, because if you look at the two different versions of Overkill, you've got one that's sort of standard, and then you've got the other one that's the desert theme. And there's a lot of desert themed stuff. Uh, the Sand Viper showed up for the first time here. Uh, you've got just, it's, it's a cool line that despite the aesthetics between the figures not being necessarily cohesive, the theme, I feel like, is. So I, I dig it. I think 2003 was a good year. What do you guys think? Your final verdict. Yeah, I think that that Hasbro showed that there was still a lot of life. You know, we're, there were so many figures that came out, you know. Um, it, it blew my mind because yeah. I, I didn't think that, that, um, we, that Hasbro had done anything with that many all-new original sculpts since, like, Sigma-6. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 really kind of surprising to go back and look that back in two thousand three, which to me was a year that like GI Joe was barely on the radar, um, that there were this many figures released in a single series. So, um, and said I, I like a lot of these character designs. I wish they were on better looking figures. Um, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot that went into this. There's definitely some love from Hasbro still for GI Joe at this point. So for the listeners, as always, we recommend you visit yojo.com, check out 2003, and uh, take a look at all these figures that we're talking about. Welcome to Instruments of Destruction, where we talk about a vehicle from G.I. Joe, up to and including its appearances in media, comics, whatever else. Uh, this month, it is my pick, and I actually I had a tough time here because there's, there's a pick I want to make, but for my first pick on the show, I have to go with my favorite toy not my favorite gi joe vehicle my favorite toy of all time the killer whale uh. it, it's it's the best toy ever made a hundred percent there's there's no disputing that in my opinion uh i did not however remember because you know i sat down and did a little bit of research for this so i'd be more prepared to talk about it uh i did not remember that whale stands for Warrior Hovering Assault Launch Envoy, <laughs> which is, whew, uh, what kind of mental acrobatics did they have to do to come up with that acronym? 
Uh, but it's the G.I. Joe Hovercraft, you know, commonly referred to as G.I. Joe Hovercraft. It uh, came out in 1984. I very clearly remember the commercial for it. It, it had its own commercial, uh, and I remember it, and I remember just being so desperate to get this thing. And we were, vi- as many of the larger items that I ended up with, we were at my grandparents in Wilmington, North Carolina, and usually my papa would take me out on toy hunts, uh, but for whatever reason, we were all out. I'm sure we'd gone out to eat or something like that. Uh, so everybody was there, and we went to Service Merchandise. And for those of you youngsters out there listening, Service Merchandise used to be a brick-and-mortar store similar to uh, a Target uh, where you would go in and they would have all kinds of different products, but there was a toy section in the back, usually next to the garden center, and they had the killer whale there on the shelf, and I had to look this up for reference, and this blows my mind. You guys, I don't know if you know off the top of your heads, but just guess, what was the original MSRP of the killer whale? $30. Christian? Christian? Yeah, I I don't know. I'm I'm thinking like forty five ish. The original MSRP of the GI Joe Killer Whale was seventeen ninety nine. What? <laughs> wow! I, I was trying to say thirty. I was like, it's probably closer to twenty, but I didn't even think that it would go that low. I was thinking like maybe twenty two ninety nine. But baffling. Yeah, it's mind blowing. Baffling. The smallest vehicles that came with figures, you know, ones that were like the size of the vamp, those were like $7 right. when they first came out. So, uh, and I had to look the price up because, and, and I don't know why I had $18, but I had $18. And my dad was just back there with me and everybody else was kind of going throughout the store looking for their own things. And I said, I've, I've got to get this. We got up to the cash register and... They rang it up and it was, you know, eighteen thirty four or whatever it was. And I didn't have enough and my dad was like, Well, sorry. <laughs> you 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 know, you you've gotta to learn to account for so let's see, this was nineteen eighty four, so I would have been seven years old. Eight years old. Eight years old. Uh, my dad was like, you need to learn about sales tax and the way that the government takes money away from us and blah, 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 you know, went on this whole thing <laughs> and was 100% going to let me not buy this because I didn't have enough money. And uh, fortunately, I do not remember if it was my papa or my mom, but they both kind of came up at the same time and was like, hey, what's going on? Why does David look like he's about to burst into tears? Uh, clearly it's because we left him alone with you again and you're an insane person. Uh, and, uh, you know, my papa is like, you know, I think I've got 35 cents in my pocket to make up this difference. David, you can, you know, wash some dishes when we get home and make that up, whatever. So I ended up being able to buy it, uh, get it back to their house and it's, it's the greatest toy ever. And that's it. Uh, it's it it flo it floated it floated great it wasn't like some of the other crappy water toys that would come out in the eighties uh, it floated great it worked on land great because it had casters with wheels on them that actually rotated so you could like 
move it along the floor at high speeds and then coast to the left, coast to the right. Had the depth charges, the recon sled, the little motorcycle that I honestly didn't even remember until last year when I bought a new old killer whale at Joe Fest um, that came with that motorcycle. And I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't have known. Like if he had sold it to me and it didn't have the motorcycle, I would have still thought it was complete. That's um, funny. I I forgot about the sled, but I have strong memories uh, of the the motorbike. Ah, that's funny. That's that's hilarious. Because for me, the sled was huge because you know you pushed it into the front and closed that flap, and then it ejected. So like that was massive to me. That was such a big feature, and I would use that. T- typically, one of my adventures would be Zartan on his swamp bike zipping through the swamps and the big whale can't keep up with him so they shoot the sled out and that guy chases zartan down <laughs> uh, what's uh impressive about it still to me to this day a lot of the toys that we look back on we think man that thing was huge because you were you know half the size right, right. Now. and you go back and you look at it as adult you're like okay it was not that big like i look back at my van but I clearly remember that that thing being bigger than it was, or the Hiss Tank. Um, or the even Hiss like Tank is like, the big one for me. The Hiss Tank is way smaller. Yeah. The tactical battle platform. Like, I remember that thing being huge when I was a kid. Now I look at it, I was like, it's half the size of the killer whale. Like, that thing is still enormous when I look at it yes. now. Yes. And I, I'm actually, I'm sitting here right next to the one I bought last year. And it, it's a big chunk of toy. Uh, and it's got tons of storage. Like, you can put tons of troops in that opening hatch. Um, the fans, the it's 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 incredible. I, I adore this thing. And uh, this is buying that one last year as part of what kicked off this whole vintage G.I. Joe thirst that I've been experiencing here over the last uh, year or so. Uh, it was featured in all the media. Uh, I was in the comics and the cartoon. It was kind of the standard vehicle that you'd see. Uh, the Skyhawk and the Whale, I think, are two most commonly used vehicles on the cartoon. Uh, it was in the trading card game. It was featured on the cover of a Color Forms book called G.I. Joe Cobra's Revenge, written by Dr. Z. <laughs> 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 but uh, this was, I mean, this is my favorite, you guys. So, uh, Christian, talk about this vehicle a little bit. Yeah, so I never actually owned this, but my best friend in elementary school did. And so whenever I would go over to his house, this was always one of the centerpieces of our G.I. Joe Ventures. Like I said, I, I was obsessed with the little bike that it came with and also the fact that it really did float. Because you're right, like, I... Lego used to make uh, boats, you know, and it was like, oh, they, they float, and it just never worked as well for me. And so when he, uh, when Tony would tell me about, you know, oh, no, I got the well and blah, 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 and it really floats, like nothing ever worked like it did on the commercials. As soon as we filled up the bathtub and we put it in, it worked. Like, like uh, it was great. Yeah, that was, it was so impressive that, that it did because I think at that point we were already used to floating toys that like would float for a minute and then just kind of sink. Yeah, when you look size of it as a little kid, uh, I, 
you didn't think it really, you know. Would... I actually, um, I think they they actually missed, no pun intended, missed the boat a lot with <laughs> this one in the media because uh, when it first came out, uh, I didn't actually own one, but I, I was obsessed with the toy and I always wanted one. And I remember my dad and both my dad and my uncle explained to me that hovercrafts aren't like really boats. Like, right. They can travel over land too because they're literally floating on a on a on on a, a pillow of air, and so they just they never really used it in that. No, fashion. it's always on the water. It was always on the water, <laughs> and I and I always thought they they missed opportunities to use it in other environments too, which really would have you know helped sell it to a lot of kids. I think. Yeah, it's interesting that they never bothered with the fact that it was an amphibious vehicle, but you know yeah. whatever. Uh, all right, any further thoughts on the killer whale, the greatest toy of all time? Pretty darn good. And very hard to find complete. Yes. Uh, and, yeah. it came with a, and it came with, with a character that I thought was Magnum P.I. when it first came out. Oh, yeah, we got to, okay, real quick, we got to mention Cutter, who is, look, I love the killer whale. I love Cutter because he came with the killer whale, but the most boring G.I. Joe figure ever made. <laughs> my gosh no, you, no you see we in in the finest um which is the costuming club i am a member of if you have not yet uh heard that about me uh we did a few things uh, a few episodes of uh, of a show called finest house a few years ago yes very good C- cutter cutter is definitely not boring <laughs> anymore to you if you've watched the finest house episodes well he's not he's not very toyetic we'll just say that <laughs> it's true Well, so our next segment is Missing in Action, in which we focus on a character that deserves a figure from any era or any toy line. Um, And I get to pick this one today. Uh, This is one that probably gets glossed over a lot. A lot of people don't even remember that this character existed because it didn't exist in a lot of media, but he did exist in the cartoons in the early seasons. And to me, he seemed like a missing original 13 G.I. Joe that I just somehow missed when the toys came out. Uh, the original communications officer on the G.I. Joe cartoon, whose name was Sparks, um, he wore a like a, a very basic like army uniform, kind of a, a, a tan, sometimes looked like a lighter green color top um, with darker pants, had a big communications backpack, and was usually sitting down at the computer um, until... Apparently, one day, the guys who were running the show uh, got a message from Hasbro that said, don't use him anymore. We have this new character, and I put quotes around that because the character (laughs) had been around for three years at this point, and that's when they started using Breaker. Um, Yeah, so, like, I never never had this figure, but because there were two grunts, and because I had come into possession of a lot of a friend of mine's figures, I had both the green grunt and... And the tan grunt that came with the um, with the glider, and so my tan grunt became Sparks when I was playing GI Joe. Oh. Um, they eventually wind up 
like taking him off the show, but he did show up in some later episodes. Uh, he took a job at a TV station. The uh, the episode "Gray Hairs and Growing Pains" um, shows him as a you know now working for a television station as a retired member of GI Joe, but still helping the the um, helping the the team out. So said doesn't get a lot of play. He, they did do some stuff with him in Devils Do later on um, as a as one of the original GI Joe team members. Um, and they did eventually release a figure in 2007 uh, as part of uh, a convention exclusive, the Tanks for the Memories box set. But that's the only time that he has ever actually been featured um, in plastic form officially in GI Joe media. So, and we yeah. we need a classic original O ring Sparks. This is such a good pick, man. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's one that people forget about, and apparently when they actually fleshed out his character he is the first ever italian-born gi joe character uh alessandro verdi born in italy oh wow yeah well that's an awesome pick i i'm 100 on board with that and i i would love it so much if and and i've said before when we've been talking about uh modern figures i i doubt it's practical for hasbro to go back to O-rings in any way, even for any, like a retro line. But I would love it if, if they could do some kind of like a HasLab project where they let fans choose 12 figures missing from the original O-ring line and they produce them and you buy the set and, and that's it. And they're done. Yeah. I, I that would be so cool, but I, I find that very unlikely. Yeah. I'd pay good money for a, like a fresh minty sparks o-ring figure um would be i'd just love to have that yeah he's i mean he's got a a simple but cool design he's distinctive from the rest of the joes um yeah that'd be very cool yeah yeah i'm looking at a lot of people uh seeing or a good amount of people have made customs of him and i'm loving looking at all these modern takes on it, yeah. I mean, O ring stuff. You can you can essentially just use parts from the original thirteen Joes because yeah. he, he fits that same aesthetic, just using the same tops grunt, um, and then you know just maybe a different, a slightly different tone with pants since he was more two toned in the cartoon. Yeah, <clears> I'm <throat> trying to think who whose bottom you could use. I would want to go with the brown. I mm-hmm. think over the green. Um, that seems to be what most people do. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. That might be a little pr- as I as I get more stuff and I end up doubles of figures. That's definitely something I'll look into doing. And I, I would just stick Breaker's headset on him. Yep. Awesome. Good pick, Noel. Thank you. Now it's time for Springfield Showdown, where Phantom and Crapshoot are each going to pick a character to face off, and I am going to decide who emerges victorious. Uh, So I'm going to go to the randomizer here, and Phantom, 
Who is your pick? All right, this is this is twice in a row I've had to be involved in this. Uh, last time I wasn't so successful. This time I feel like I've chosen a winner. I feel like I've chosen somebody who is almost undefeatable within the realm of G.I. Joe. My pick, my guy that I'm placing on the battlefield is the Super Trooper! Oh. <laughs> Vac Metal Chest piece vac metal helmet vac metal submachine gun shield this guy looks like he is just ready to crash into any number of enemy troops and tear them to pieces but not only that not only that his secondary specialty is public relations so he's going to get out to the battlefield and he's going to say attention enemy troops i just want you to know that I think we can find middle ground and avoid this conflict entirely if we can just sit down and have a reasonable conversation then we can find a resolution that doesn't involve violence but then he busts out his super reflective shield and guns them all down while they're distracted by the shiny light coming off of his shield and his helmet wow <laughs> Wow is the only proper response. <laughs> <for> <laughs> I, I gotta say, never underestimate the power of good PR. It's or kept good the Kardashians vac- around good, all these years. Good vac metal. Well, <laughs> that too. <laughs> while your super trooper is standing there giving PR, you're never going to hear this coming because my contestants specialty is silent weapons that's right quick kick is going to be my entry into springfield showdown today oh quick kick has black belts in seven different martial arts disciplines seven that's taekwondo goju ryu judo southern uh southern praying mantis kung fu tai chi sword zin sword and wing chun at seven martial arts he's a black belt in he first time you see him in the cartoon he rescues alpine and bazooka from leopard seals he beat leopard seals to save their save their butts and not only that he kicks storm shadows butt on their first encounter in the snow so uh it doesn't get much tougher than the uh the martial arts guy who can kick storm shadows butt and he fought tough. in the Arctic without any Arctic gear. No shirt, no shoes, no problem. Well, I've heard your arguments. And Noel, you kind of stole my joke. Because unfortunately, <laughs> no shirt, no shoes, no service. Aww. <laughs> I, I can't I can't take seriously a guy who runs into battle not wearing shoes or a gunfight not wearing a shirt. Can, can he win I you over shiny with Daft Witch and his lifetime him? supply of frozen fudgy bars, though? <laughs> <laughs> I and every time. I hear Super Trooper. I can't help but to think of ABBA, and ABBA will always win. No fair with the ABBA card. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Super so Trooper wins the day! Uh, uh, 
I I gotta give it to the vac metal. <laughs> it, it quick kick goes and kick tries to kick that shield. If he's been if, if Super Trooper's been out in the sun, man, his his feet are gonna get blistered. It's sorry, Noel. That's all right. We'll get him next time. And yes. that was the Springfield Showdown. Alright, it's time to close this thing out with Knowing is Half the Babble, where each of us gets 60 seconds to ramble about eh, anything. Uh, I'm going to kick it off and go ahead and lay down my pre-order conspiracy theory. I think that Hasbro is intentionally throwing these pre-orders out there with like five figures available to sell out instantly to build up a crazy furor for these products so like you know us as collectors we're sitting there we're waiting with our finger on the button for hasbro to throw those or for target or whoever to throw up those pre-orders oh can't wait gotta have the cobra troopers i need 20 of them i need a baroness let's go let's go and pre-order pops up and and you don't even get the opportunity to put it in your cart it immediately says sold out I think it's a big plan just to make people hot for these toys. So once they do hit, they sell out like crazy. And you know what? If that's the case, pretty smart on Hasbro's part. Spoken like someone who collected Masters of the Universe classics. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Don't even get me started on MaddieCollector.com. All right. Uh, Noel, you're up next. All right. I'm going to talk about a random memory that I had um, and a movie that uh, came out, I think, in 1986. And uh, before he was uh, the star of The Wonder Years and before he was in The Princess Bride, uh, Fred Savage uh, had a had a supporting role in a movie also starring Jay Underwood and, um, now I can't remember her name, uh, Lucy Deakins, um, called The Boy Who Could Fly. Yeah. And this movie might as well have just been a giant product placement for G.I. Joe by Hasbro because... I want to call him Kevin Arnold the whole time, but Fred Savage is is obsessed with G.I. Joe. He's got him all over his bedroom. He's playing with them all the time. He rides around in his big wheel, dressed like a G.I. Joe, um, shooting people with water guns and stuff. But what made me mad, this spoiled brat kid would have battles, and his characters would die, and he would stage trolls, and he would bury his G.I. Joe figures in his backyard. And I cannot tell you how irate i was that someone would actually do that to their precious toys that i had to work so hard to get my hands on back in the day but if you want a little nostalgia movie from you know from 34 years ago that's got a lot of little gi joe nods in it then go check out the boy who could fly i haven't seen it since then but i don't know if it holds up or not christian what's your babble Alright, so I'm going to kind of bounce off of what Noel was talking about last time uh, with getting upset or not feeding the scalpers. Um, I recently have seen a lot of negativity about the Storm Shout coming out on the retro line with having sleeves. Um, I know we all have childhood memories or our favorite versions of characters, 
like what you like. You don't have to like everything, but don't poo-poo on other people's excitement over a toy or a figure because it's not what you wanted. I think that you can still express your disappointment in a way that is civil and can lead to discussion. I mean, like I said, I don't like all the ninjas in G.I. Joe, but through conversations with Dave and Noel, I'm starting to be more open to it. But no one has ever taken a, oh, you suck, uh, blah, 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 this is the worst, what is Hasbro doing? Like, there is some good in the fact that we're getting G.I. Joe figures on the shelves again. All right, and with that, it is time to say goodbye. But first, we want to thank Andy Samford of ElectricMinnowMusic.com for providing all of the music you heard throughout this episode. Uh, once again, please do follow us on Instagram at Audible Interlude Podcast and on Twitter at G.I. Joe Audible. Uh, Noel, do you want to tell us a little bit about The Finest? Uh, the Finest is an international G.I. Joe costuming group um, that uh, doesn't get out to do as many shows now as we traditionally do, but uh, when we're out doing shows, we're raising money for a great charity called Canines for Warriors. So if you get a chance to donate to that group, uh, even if you can't go to a con right now, um, we definitely appreciate it, and so do the dogs and the veterans that are benefited by The Finest. All right, Noel. Christian, thanks so much for sitting down talking about G.I. Joe. Yo, Joe! You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.